Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Welcome back to Interview with the Experts, a podcast series from Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Education. I'm your host, Dr. Luke Birchall. I'm leading the Heart Failure Care Pathway here at Mayo Clinic. And today I have a very special guest joining me, Kelly Pasalakwa, our social worker with the Adult Congenital Heart Disease Team. Welcome, Kelly. Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. It's good to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, I joined the team just over a year ago now, and I've been learning a lot about what is a licensed clinical social worker. So for those that are listening, and I think our audience is going to include cardiologists, other physicians, maybe even patients, can you explain what is a licensed clinical social worker? Well, social work, it's, it's been such a great adventure in my, I think, 30 years now of being a social work, and I've seen many different changes over the years. Uh, coming to Mayo Clinic, I've been able to be on the inpatient side of things briefly and um, have spent most of my time in the outpatient area. And um, so there's definitely a variety of the social work role. And, um, you know, many are very familiar with our inpatient types of approaches to care, which involve a lot of, you know, discharge planning and crisis intervention and those types of things. And I think over the years, we've really expanded out to the clinical areas, particularly specialty clinic areas and congenital heart disease being one of them. And um, it has been very great to be able to get a little bit more in depth with our patients and get to know them a little bit more, provide a really kind of health and well-being type of support and really assessment for them, which includes, you know, going through and getting a bit of a social history and going through and then doing assessing for some of those psychosocial circumstances that may arise. Yeah, look, I've had such positive feedback from the many patients that we have seen. Often, you know, they will have seen myself and yourself in that same visit to Mayo Clinic. And the feedback, not just from the patients, but from the families has been extremely positive. I think that we uh, have less time for our very complex patients to really understand that social history. So I was going to ask you for, perhaps this is the patient that's listening out there. They're wondering what does social history actually mean? Um, what sort of things are you delving into with patients and families when you explore social history through your lens as a social worker? Yes, it's a great question. I think it really, you know, for me to get a good understanding of what a patient's about, where are they from, what are they doing in their life, it really speaks to kind of the trajectory, I think, in caveats that might come up for, for them from the medical side of things. So it's really good for us to know who are their supports, how do they cope, what does that look like, and really what's what are their available resources so are they connected to any services or programs? Are they, you know, are they a, a person who has a lot of supports or is it a person who has very minimal supports? And yet people who have minimal supports can function very well. We just, we just use their supports, right? Particularly in those hard times. Or I, I don't even want to see hard times, but in those more stressful times, if there is a, a need for a procedure or 
some type of intervention. For sure. Okay. And that's a really, really important point. Sometimes there's some more urgent or pressing needs because of an intervention or a major event. Mm-hmm. Um, and at other times, it's really just that ongoing, more or less, uh, I don't know if this is the right term, but it's sort of maintenance. How do we keep people on track? Maintenance is a great a great word. And I actually even provide people with kind of a maintenance health, mental health tool after we're done kind of speaking, particularly if they're, if they've gone through an intervention and they've done well, I I give them a mental health wellness plan just to kind of keep up with what they've been doing, which is really helpful for them. But I think what's wonderful too, is when patients, if they're coming and they don't necessarily need anything right away, we can get some of this sort of out of the way, right? Let me collect some of this history. What do you do for work? What are your insurances? You know, some of those basic basic kinds of things. What are your family? What does your family unit look like? Who lives in the home? Um, those types of things. So we have some of that sort of every year we get to review it, check in, and then also really do some nice solid, have some nice solid discussions surrounding their mental health well-being. And, and that could be, you know, a, a talk about their stressors. It could be a more in-depth talk about how they, well, more, you know, I want to know more about how they're coping as well. So they're coping, like what, what sort of drives you to feel better at, at the end of your day or when you are in a bit of a crisis, what's, what's typically helpful. Also just looking at sometimes more in-depth Discussions surrounding anxiety and depression, which is prevalent for about 30% of our patients. And so I think just being able to normalize those discussions, and I think our providers in our group are really great at just normalizing this holistic approach to care. So I feel very privileged to work with this group because they're, they're really looking at that entire patient in a holistic way, which is, I think, the beauty of why I've come here about four years ago as the first social worker to, to be able to do this with our congenital heart team. So it's, it's definitely a privilege from that standpoint as well, so. Yes, and I know that you know, the team sees your role as being essential for the care we provide. I think the team in general believes that to provide whole heart care, you've got to provide whole, her- whole person care. One of the challenges is that often we have a lot of heart history, a lot of interventions to understand, a lot of anatomy to review, and we're interested in people's social environment, community environment, and mental health, but we're only really able to touch the surface. Yeah. So having you available you, with your expertise to take that deep dive mm-hmm. is really a great complement um, to the care we provide with that goal of providing whole-of-person care. So. Um, a big thank you for you for everything that you do for our patients. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about another term that people might be hearing about: um, social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's can you a break great. That down? Yeah, that's a great lead. Um, so, social determinants are is basically the conditions in our environment. So, how do we kind of live, work, play, interact with people, worship? our social functions, those types of things. And many times those social determinants can impact our quality of life. So that's why it becomes really important. And I really am impressed with the American Heart Association actually put together a a social determinants for health, specifically for congenital heart disease. And they talk about the financial impact and employment impact, the social environments, what what are the available supports, 
they talk about even just the how can we get all the way to a congenital heart center when I live 500 miles away to the nearest center and it's going to cost me money and how can we afford this? And so all of these things are this, this is a, so this is a good example of a social determinant that affects an individual with congenital heart disease. Other factors for our congenital heart patients are just that ability for you know, employment. And if they're functioning well, or if they're not functioning well, we know that there's going to be time off of work and that impacts the family dynamic, the family support, right? So they might be the person who brings home the money or having to, to maybe be on disability for a time and how that might impact the family. So there's just all those types of things are, are very impactful for our patients in general. And, and I think impressive for us to take note of um, as we continue to work on their biological needs, their psychological and their psychosocial needs. So true. And, you know, I recently saw a patient who had very complex congenital heart disease and we observed a significant improvement in a number of her test results. And there was a thought process around which medication might have achieved this. And in fact, it was a change in her social circumstances and a shift from being in an environment and in a home situation that was really not healthy and incredibly stressful to one that was healthy and supportive. And for me, it really sort of drove home that point that again, we're not just looking after people's hearts, we're looking after mm -hmm. people in a body, in an environment, in a community. We have to pay yeah. attention to all of that. So I thought, um, you know, just again on that thread, what, are examples of some of the practical interventions that you've implemented for patients that you see in the adult congenital heart clinic. Can you provide some examples? I sure can. So it is true that many of our patients do struggle with stressors and whether they are more kind of external of the social determinants or they're more impactful from psychological, we definitely want to help patients. So again, it's about getting in and getting an assessment, understanding exactly where the patient's coming from, and then actually acknowledging what can we do about some of these issues? Are some of these stressors, are they fixable? Are they not fixable? And then how do we sort of navigate to a coping structure instead of a stress structure, okay? And that's a good part of where a lot of the anxiety and depression is coming in for a lot of our patients. And so, trying to get a good understanding of, of the impact of their depression or anxiety or stress, it just could be stress. We really wanna help them navigate towards more coping mechanisms versus staying in the, I always say staying in the weeds a bit <laughs> with it. So just being able to talk to them about anxiety reduction. So it could be doing some diaphragmatic breathing, something called progressive muscle relaxation and something else called guided imagery. And all of those three have been very helpful in lessening anxiety in, in a patient, particularly who is, is struggling. And um, those are something I get to teach. So we get to do some practice deep breath, breath work in the, in the room, and uh, that's very fun. And going through just these exercises. And nine times out of 10, people are saying, this has been really helpful and has reduced my stress level just by being able to do it. Another fundamental positive way to kind of work on some of these stressors and thought process is to 
actually use our mind to restructure how we're thinking about something. So it could be that um, it's been a very long winter for many of us, right? So everybody has, has been stressed about this. So the trigger might be the weather has been terrible. What, how, we, how we would turn that trigger from a distress concern, which many of us were like, oh, this has been way too hard this season. It's going to be summer is coming. It's on its way. The, the, the trees are bloomed, right? So that's just how do we sort of move that thought from a negative thought to a positive thought. So doing cognitive restructuring, that's the formal. I think that we could all use this, not just our patients. Yes, right, right. I think we all needed it for this winter. <laughs> Do you find that sometimes your colleagues are as interested as your patients in some of these um, practical things that they can do to help reduce stress and, and do the cognitive restructuring? Yeah, I think that many people say, Kelly, can we talk? Maybe we should talk about that sometime for ourselves. And I, and I agree, like we all could benefit from it. And sometimes it's just a good check-in, right? You know, just a good talk sometimes with, with a colleague or how do we sort of look at this differently? And I think we informally do it quite a bit. I don't think people give themselves as much credit for informally discussing the hardship sometimes, but but we do it quite frequently. But yeah, I'm, I'm available anytime <laughs> for patients or staff. <laughs> well, look, I've learned a great deal from you. It's really expanded my understanding of um, the role of a social worker. Um, I can hear it's beyond the things that I learned many years ago was particularly focused on supports in the community, maybe financial community supports and agencies. And now it's this expanded role that includes mental health diagnosis and treatment, um, really practical um, supports that can be offered almost in real time to our patients. I really like some of these things like the progressive muscle relaxation, the reframing, the cognitive restructuring, and probably most importantly, I'm hearing from our patients the positive impact that it's having. So thank you so much for your time today. Was there anything that else that you wanted to say about social work, the role of social work in this space? Thank you for having me. And our, you know, we have a great team here at Mayo. Pleasure, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.